Welcome, friends, to Workplace Injury Prevention, a Fit for Work podcast, where we are bringing the power of prevention to you. I am your host, Curtis Kopotic, and I am joined by my co-host, Amber Brown, and today we are joined by our CEO, John Groves. Yeah, as you guys know, John is the CEO of Fit for Work, and today he's going to talk to us a little bit about something that we do a little bit different or special with Fit for Work services on site, and it's called early intervention. So he'll go into exactly what that means kind of right away as well. So take a listen and enjoy. Now, we wanted to have you back on, John, so we could dive a little deeper into early intervention on this specific topic and break it down so to provide a little more clarity on it. Now, there's a lot of buzzwords in business, so we want to let people know what does early intervention mean from our perspective and how do you describe it to others and that would allow them to learn about it. Yeah, exactly right. There are some buzzwords. So when you look up, if you type in early intervention into Google, you're going to find a lot of things out there you know, early medical intervention on a lot of different types of things and or even non-medical applications of that. But for the context of this conversation and, how, and what we provide, it's, you know, early intervention is prevention of musculoskeletal injuries. And so when we look at that, how we attack that, breaking that down a little bit further is from a three leading indicator standpoint. And the three leading indicators to a musculoskeletal injuries that we attack are early soreness, ergonomics, and behaviors. And a lot of times when people are talking about early intervention, they first kind of grasp or, you know, it's most familiar to them to think of it as, you know, the symptom response process. And that is always a component of that, but that should not be at all where they stop that conversation because there's so much more to be had by focusing on the ergonomics and the behaviors. And in the example might be, yeah, you might have some people that are complaining of soreness uh, and those types of things. But you also have a lot of people who aren't complaining, yet they have risk factors that are out there, whether they're uh, using maladaptive work practice behaviors, whether their ergonomic setup is uh, correct for their job. So it's not just enough to be able to say, hey, look, we're going to respond to people's symptoms. The other part about that is the symptom response process, you know, doing some first aid for uh, early sorenesses is still reactive. If you think about it, it's not, it's certainly better than waiting until it's a formalized injury and you can't go on any further and you have to go into the medical system. Of course, it's better than that, but it's still incumbent upon somebody to say, hey, look, I have a soreness. I'm going to seek somebody out for that. And so it's still reactive in a sense. And really where we uh, help uh, clients is to shift their culture into one of proactivity. So you move that upstream so that you can be constantly active, systematically working with those who do not complain. Again, systematically working with those who do not complain. Why? So that they don't have to you know, deal with the complaint in the first place and uh, have that issue in the first place. And so again, that's where you want to look at the ergonomics and especially the work practice behaviors, because there's a lot of things in there that can be adjusted so that you're not, you know, dealing with a symptom at all. But early intervention, again, is all three of those early soreness, ergonomics, and behaviors when you're uh, looking at it completely. Well, and I definitely think most people can relate to the early soreness because everybody's felt that soreness at work. But there's other times where people with employees at the workplaces that I go to often see a situation where they may not have soreness, but they feel it's a, that how they do it is a weird or awkward. And so just letting people know and having a process for them to be able to report those, I'm sure is a, a light bulb moment for these clients to say, oh, we do need to have that 
that source and that trusted individual on site that people can go to with, you know, bringing those up as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's where, when you look at what we bring, we're third party, we're a medical provider, we instantly have more an advantage on an empathetic uh, role, meaning we understand their world and they know we understand their world because we're in it with them uh, day in, day out, week in, week out. So there's an automatic uh, trust factor, there's an automatic an awareness factor that all parties are aware of when they're interacting and with the visibility that we have out on the floor, interacting with them. We're not, we're not sitting in an office waiting for the walking wounded to come to us. We're out interacting with them in the field. So, you know, it really changes the dynamic of how they would typically get help. And again, we're coming preloaded with not just worrying about soreness reaction, but also looking at how do you prevent that from the first place from an ergonomic and behavior standpoint. So, yep, it's really a a comprehensive approach from that perspective. John, you brought up medical providers. Do you feel it's commonly understood by musculoskeletal providers such as athletic trainers, physical therapists, occupational therapists on how to properly utilize early intervention? No, that's a good point, Amber. And, and I think this is important for people outside the medical profession to understand and that to, to properly operate in a fashion that is focused on early soreness, ergonomics and behaviors in a truly preventative fashion, you really are operating in an off-label use of that provider. And what I mean by that is nobody is, you know, you look at physical therapists, athletic trainers, and occupational therapists, you lump them together. There's, you know, over 300,000 of those professionals in the United States. But there is no teaching institution that's teaching that at a, uh, you know, at a basic level coming into the at an entry level into the profession. So it's just not a paradigm that anybody's being trained in, let alone the advanced competencies that it takes from a pain science perspective or an OSHA perspective and then being in an, in an industrial environment. So, no, it's, it's not common at all. A lot of times an outside, you know, someone outside the medical profession will say, well, hey, we want to get an athletic trainer on site, or we want to get a physical therapist or an occupational therapist on site. So what they think of is going out and hiring one or contracting with somebody. And what they may not understand is that the, the person that they're uh, contracting or training likely has no training in this whatsoever. And what they've effectively executed is a staffing agency. Hey, we need, we need, we need this professional and I'm going to put them in this spot, not realizing that it takes a significant paradigm shift to get somebody to be operating in what I call that that off-label use of that provider, because what they're going to do is they're going to bring that person in, that person's going to operate in how they've been trained, which is very reactive, which means they don't understand OSHA, which means, you know, are they prescribing exercises in response to an occupational soreness? Are they treating people in a you know prescriptive level of care, thus creating all sorts of injuries and recordables and problems for a client, spending time, you know, uh, in the in the office versus out on the floor, not focusing on the ergonomics and or the behavior modifications, and instead simply focusing on response to sorenesses, which is closer to what they've been trained in. So, you know, it is absolutely not something that is well known. And I think that's a really, really key point for uh, prospects or potential clients and, and, and clients to understand is that it is truly an off-label use of these providers, and it's not common understanding by the providers uh, how to do uh, and operate in this methodology. So you just spoke to the fact that this isn't something that's commonly talked about in any of these providers' education. Your background is specifically in physical therapy. So how did you get involved with or see the importance of early intervention? 
Yeah, you know, I've always had an interest. I went to school at the Mayo Clinic, uh, worked in some of their work hardening and those types of things. It wasn't quite the, the the area that I wanted to be involved in, but it was at least in the sphere or in the realm of industrial. And then so as I you know, graduated, went on and started to, to uh, achieve advanced competencies for uh, clinical care, I was doing my postdoctoral fellowship with uh, a friend of mine, Dr. Andrew Bennett, down in, in Texas and doing some hours down there. And he uh, I think over a beer or two, it described how they just had teamed up and partnered with a company called Fit for Work and how they worked with companies to prevent the issue from ever happening. And, and it, you know, here I am in the middle of my, my postdoctoral uh, fellowship, and which is, a, you know, quite a load of work uh, all on its own. And I realized I wanted to pivot and that was the direction I wanted to go. So I finished up my fellowship and then uh, kind of uh, concurrently also started exploring how could I get involved with Fit for Work and did. So that was, I always had an interest in it, but uh, then I found that methodology and I was like, that's what makes sense is let's prevent the issue uh, rather than just trying to get those issues into a clinic. You know, believe it or not, I always tell folks, believe it or not, you're, the employers aren't just dying to figure out how to get people into clinics. That's just, they're just not dying to do that. What they'd prefer is to not have people get hurt in the first place. And so that model, when I heard that, really resonated with me. And I, I literally, mentally at least, and emotionally pivoted on the spot. Of that was where I was going to work towards. And, and since that time, that's what I've been working towards. Hey everyone, I want you to take a second to imagine what it would be like if you could get ahead of injuries opposed to trying to always play catch up with them at your business. Fit for Work can partner with you to prevent injuries before they even happen with 200 unique clients spread across 850 sites in the United States and Canada and over 20 years of experience. We have helped countless companies of all shapes and sizes do exactly that. We can guide you to systematically lower your company's injuries with four easy steps early on-site intervention, industrial ergonomics, employee testing, and safety compliance. Go to our website, www.wellworkforce.com, and click on the Connect With Us button to learn more. So what are some of the easy, tall tale signs that a company is in need of early intervention? I mean, have you found that there's some that don't really have anything specific, where it's, or can everybody benefit from it? The short answer is everybody can benefit from it, however they benefit from it differently. So the, the key to remember is that early intervention, as we're talking about, is often kind of thought of as a, you know, a workers' comp reduction, you know, injury prevention, cost production, uh, re- reduction or prevention tool. But also, you know, a lot of our interactions, roughly half or more, are often reported to us by employees as being non-work related. So, you know, you, you might have a scenario where you have somebody that has an incident rate where they don't want it. They have increasing costs or increasing in, uh, incident rates, and you can bring that down. What we've seen over the, the years and the data shows is that those incident rates are not nearly as you know high as they used to be. Uh, that being said, you know, we're still looking at about a two to one to five to one, sometimes higher than that ROI. So it's a you know it's still a very significant ROI in those settings. So uh, you also have ones that we call the sub ones, where they operate at a very high level. They're not having an incident rate over one, uh, low incident rates from those perspectives. However, they're looking kind of to take the next step towards a world class you know process. And and really, I think when you look at you know how people are starting to look at their workforce. Labor markets are tight. There's nothing that makes a company realize the value of an employee when they can't find any more of them. 
And so taking care of those employees in the best way possible, now that ROI goes, yes, from an injury prevention standpoint, but it also goes into a productivity, a retention, you know, the cost of replacing somebody comes into play, not just the cost of, you know, rehabbing them. And then when you look at it too, from the impacts on the, on the non-work related side or the private insurance side of preventing issues from ever getting off the ground, you're seeing decreases on that side as well. So yes, everybody can benefit from that in, in different ways. And it kind of just depends on the goal of the, the client. Not all clients have the same goals. So while it might benefit them uh, in one way or another, or in all three of those areas or, or what it might be, they may have different goals that don't line up with that. So that, and that's fine. Uh, but certainly benefits a lot of different uh, scenarios that people are facing. John, you mentioned about the workforces that our clients have. And have you noticed any difficulties or troubles with the tough union stoic workforces response to early intervention? You know, that's often a very common question. And no, we haven't. In fact, we have some of our best uh, results within a union workforce. And, you know, I mean, I think sometimes, you know, people think of some sort of uh, combative relationship between, you know, management and the union and those types of things causing some things. And at the end of the day, what we found is that, that the, the, you know, whether union, non-union, whether you're in warehousing, manufacturing, construction, whatever, whatever variables, the thing that's consistent is you're dealing with human beings. And the human beings, whether they're in a leadership position or, you know, in the production role, whatever it might be, they just want to know. They want to be involved in, in understanding what this is. And so when you include everybody that should be included, including the union, in terms of the conversation on what the program is, what it does, how it helps, uh, at the end of the day, they realize, gosh, they got nothing to lose. Companies paying for you know, a service that can greatly help their constituents that uh, doesn't cost the union anything and helps, it helps people that, uh, that are in the union and there's you know, nothing to lose. That when they understand that, once you've included them in the conversations, you know, it's just like anything else. Like, oh, well, that makes sense. Sure, let's move forward. But it really comes down to, as do a lot of issues in business, is communication. Now, it's very common for, you know, anybody who has a, a service to talk about those, you know, reduction of injuries and saving the company money and the, that changing over of the workforce. I mean, these are always big claims. How is it that you're able to show the, this information to a company in a simple way that they can feel confident in knowing that this will happen for them? Yeah, I think first, I mean, you're looking at our results. It's a couple components that come in. Number one, what is important to them? Understanding how they're measured in their culture. And I mean, all of our clients have maybe some slight variation, but if you want to look at, you know, 95% of the you know folks are looking at roughly the same things, recordables and incident rates and, and cost and, and those types of things. And so when you look at it, number one, understanding how are they measuring this? And then and you can measure that. You know, the very first thing that goes is the number of recordables that, uh, that goes down is the number of recordables in the same time year over year. And so you start matching that and say, all right, you're going to have, first, you're going to see recordables fall off. Then you're going to see cost and rates, you know, follow after that. And I always tell folks, you know, what stat wouldn't improve with ripping 50% of the number of injuries that happen? Which one of those stats do you think wouldn't improve if that happens? And, you know, that obviously reduces uh, a ton of those. And so uh, the other component of that is, is you can start to see tangible results with this program at six months. 
So it's not up to full speed necessarily at six months, but you're seeing tangible results at six months. So it's not as if you have to take a two or three year flyer to figure out whether this is trending things in the right way. And if you are waiting two or three years to figure out if that's going the right way, it isn't being done the right way because you can you can make a significant impact. You should be making significant impact right off the bat. So the uh, you know understanding. Hey, look, first thing you're going to see is number of injuries or recordables or claims, depending on what side of the coin you're looking at it in the same year over year time frame. They're going to drop off fast. Following that is the, the you know, the allocations of dollars and, and, and rates and whatnot. That's pretty simplistic when you look at that. It's pretty you're not talking about, a, you know, a, a slight trend downwards. You're talking about a 50 percent cliff that things fall off of. So it's pretty obvious when it happens. With the recordables dropping off at, at such a quick and alarming rate. How do you feel that this impacts the on-site safety professionals, risk managers, OC health nurses that are employed by our clients? Yeah, and there's a lot of stakeholders involved depending on the scenario, sometimes all of those, sometimes some of those. But, you know, we we look at ourselves as a a full uh, force multiplier of the safety in the EHS department. And so I've never heard anybody in safety say, gee, I wish I could spend less time on the floor. Everybody's overworked. They've got a lot of things going on. And so one thing about us is we're on site to do one thing and we don't get interrupted by other initiatives or other types of things that may pop up. You can always count on the fact that we're going to be out there interacting with employees from that three leading indicator standpoint of early soreness, ergonomics and behaviors. And we're going to be dropping down that exposure so they don't have the issue in the first place. And that obviously helps the, you know, the safety manager from a risk management standpoint, looking at that, you're able to control your costs much more from a nurse, uh, health nurse. Um, it's certainly, we work in, in uh, tandem with many health nurse, uh, nurses across the, the country uh, because it helps to, to get things under control. So you don't have this kind of recycling wheel of musculoskeletal things that are happening. And so you can really uh, focus together on the things that matter and give everything its proper attention rather than having these streaks and rashes of, you know, 10 recordables in this month and five happened in this month and things, you know, little little uh, things that pop up. You drop those down predictably, drop them down significantly, and it allows everybody to deliver uh, the value that they're really there to deliver in a more consistent fashion. So to wrap it all up here, John, Fit for Work uses early intervention and the the three leading indicators of early soreness, ergonomics, and behaviors to help help out our clients. And just a little bit more specifically, can you kind of bring it all home as to who benefits, bottom line, who benefits from our specific brand of early intervention? The quick and dirty is the employees that we work with, they benefit. You think about doing preventative maintenance on machines so that they don't break down. This is the exact same process for the for the employees. And that's what's that's what's kind of cool. That's what I really like about what we do is you look at any other space in the medical field, they're incentivized to do things to people. Uh, tell them that they're, oh, yeah, you have this out of place or this looks degenerated or, oh, my gosh, there's a tear in this. And so we need to physically do something to you. And, you know, you don't get incentivized in the medical community to do something less to people. And that's the problem with the medical community is we've often tried to solve these musculoskeletal issues with a scenario or a setup where you're only incentivized to be bad and do more to you because you're so bad. And we've seen where that's led us into unsustainable costs, uh, risks of, of care, opioid abuse, all those kind of things. And so what we really like about this is, yes, we're helping our clients gain control from that, save money, 
but we're doing it because we're doing what's best for the employee. At the end of the day, we're doing it what's best for the employee. These guys and gals go out and work hard. They, you know, I think of some of the stats in the, in the grocery industry, you're lifting 20, 30,000 pounds a day. I think the normal, you know, average American can't fathom lifting that much. These people do that day in, day out, or, you know, you know, garbage hauling industry. They're doing 700 stops a day. You know, think about that. And so the amount of physical and repetitive work and, and things in the manufacturing setting and in some of these settings is just incredible. And so at the end of the day, it is about the employee. And when you do the right thing for the employee, everybody wins. And that's, that's really the cool thing about a well-crafted early intervention program. Definitely agree. And I truly the greatest blessing of my job is that feeling of satisfaction of helping out those employees. So thank you so much for your time, John. We appreciate it as always. It's always a pleasure to spend some time with you and talk more about these things that really affect and help people. So we appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. We really want to thank John Groves for taking the time to talk to us again, and this time about early intervention. The part that I have seen a lot on site is where John talks about the three leading indicators of early intervention, those being the detection of early soreness, correcting human behaviors or teaching good techniques, and then also ergonomics. You know, I've been a a part of a lot of new hire trainings And then also going out on the floor and helping veteran employees change some of those human behaviors. And I've really been able to see how that not only prevents the early soreness, other part of the leading indicator, but just injuries in general. So I have seen firsthand how this can help out the employees of some of our clients. It is way more powerful than people can ever appreciate, I think, at the beginning and just hearing about it. But when they see that type of, you know, interacting with people who aren't even sore yet, that's where it's a complete, as he says, a game changer on taking care of individuals. And so this is just one of those drawers of service that we as Fit for Work work with at Early Intervention. Uh, We also will be diving deeper into ergonomics and employee testing and that safety program. So we're going to be sprinkling those in throughout the year. This is just thought would take a deep dive on the most prominent aspect of kind of what people know us for, but definitely a lot more exciting things to come. Thank you for listening to this episode of Workplace Injury Prevention, a Fit for Work podcast where we are bringing the power of prevention to you. Please like and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. To get started preventing injuries, please visit our website, wellworkforce.com, or email us with any questions or comments to podcast at wellworkforce.com. And remember, prevention improves lives.